Namaste, friends. You're listening to Impact India, a podcast that deep dives into the epic stories and innovation coming from the startup scene in India, with a focus on travel, fashion, and tech. Each episode, I sit down with incredibly inspiring social entrepreneurs across the country to hear their story, learn about their initiatives, and listen to their why. Looking for the newest and coolest social impact brands in travel, fashion, and tech? Jump over to causeartist.com and join our community. Oh yeah, and I'm your host, Jasmine Rain, Director of Content at Cause Artist and Social Entrepreneur. I'm the co-founder and owner of Hada House, India's first zero-waste travel organization and hotel chain. You can connect with me on social media at Jasmine Rain. All right, no more stalling. It's time to meet India's next generation of impact influencers. Let's get it. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another epic episode of Impact India. Today, I'm chatting with a fellow zero waste advocate, Richa Malik of The Happy Turtle, a startup based in Delhi, helping businesses and individuals reduce their plastic consumption and minimize their ecological footprint. Richa, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Jasmine. Thank you for having me with you. So give us a little bit of an overview. You know, how did you end up living this like plastic free lifestyle? Where did this all start for you? Uh, so, yeah, so I'm pretty much the run-of-the-mill Indian who's an engineer turned MBA. And then I was working in the corporate sector for about six years. Um, my plastic awareness was still there, but my action in terms of minimizing plastic, I wouldn't say was very high. Um, I quit my corporate job and I actually became a diving instructor in Indonesia about three years ago. And that was when it was pretty much an eye-opener. Because all the plastic that we throw away and considering out of sight, out of mind sort of an attitude, it actually comes back in front of you when you're diving. And I saw the impact of it firsthand. I saw the animals, the sea life suffering because of it. Uh, pretty much every second day we would see some sea life consuming it. We would see turtles eating it. And even though I used to volunteer for beach cleanups and dive cleanups, it, this slow feeling started sinking in that just cleaning up is not enough because we're going on adding so much more trash in the oceans in terms of our own consumption, in terms of our changing convenient habits and stuff that I realized that we need to stop reducing, uh, stop using so much plastic. So I started with myself <laughs> and ended up pretty much giving up a lot of products that I used to use. And then I came back to India and started the company called The Happy Turtle to inspire people to do what they can do on their own to minimize their consumption of plastic so that the impact on wildlife, the impact on their health, the impact on the environment can be minimized. Incredible. And I love the story of the name. Would you mind sharing it with our audience? All right. Yeah. So the name is very dear to me. Um, basically, it all started with this one particular dive where we saw a turtle swimming away from the reef. Usually they swim to, they stay close to the reef, but this fellow is swimming happily away from the reef. And when we saw what it was swimming towards, it was swimming towards a plastic bag. Um, turtles usually eat jellyfish and a bag when underwater looks a lot like jellyfish. So the poor guy was swimming towards what it thought was its lunch. And I got a little bit frantic at that point and we have this metal stick with us which we call a tank banger not a very fancy term and i was used the tank banger to make some noise to chase the turtle away and 
took that plastic bag and put it in my uh, dig- uh, BCD pocket. So, and then when we came up from that dive, I don't remember anything else after that dive, like what happened for the rest of the dive, nothing. But when we came up, I just had this sinking feeling instead of a joyful feeling that, okay, that turtle got to live that day, but it's just a sheer chance. And the number of turtles that don't get to live was something that started weighing on me. And that's why I thought turtles would be happier if there's lesser plastic for them to compete with the jellyfish. And that's why I thought, okay, let's make turtles happier. And that's what called the happy turtle. I love it. It's so cute. Thank you for sharing. <laughs> so you do quite a bit at the happy turtle. So, you know, there's the, what you offer to businesses and then also what you offer to individuals in regards to reducing their plastic consumption. So uh, how exactly are you working with businesses on, on reducing plastic? So in terms of businesses, we have three different types of offerings. The main one is uh, our end-to-end plastic reduction consulting. We're one-of-a-kind company offering this sort of a consulting model to any business. And it's not restricted to a type of business. So it can be an office, it can be a school, it can be a hotel or a restaurant or any premises where plastic gets consumed. Uh, The way we work on this consulting is we help a business minimize their plastic consumption and become zero waste to landfill with the focus being firstly on reducing the waste that they generate. And we also certify their efforts because it's one thing to put in an effort. It's another thing to get a gold star for it. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> so we certify the effort with our copyright tool called the Plastic Footprint Calculator for Businesses. And we give a business a rating based on their absolute consumption in terms of quantity as well as quality. So if they're using a lot of non-recyclable plastic, that's actually a slightly lesser star for them as compared to using minimal plastic and whatever little plastic they do have to use, we try and focus on using recyclable plastic only. That's the consulting model. We also offer a lot of workshops and cleanup drives to businesses. So uh, in terms of plastic pollution and solutions, which is more focused towards the solution part. And as part of those solutions, we also offer a lot of reusable alternatives to plastic, which are all sustainably made in India. So the products are included as well. Amazing. And, and, and so tell me a little bit of how this calculator works because you have it online and people can also fill it out on an individual level. So they're kind of, is it like a survey and then you would take the answers and you kind of give them an analysis of kind of how to move forward? Yeah, so the one on the website is for individuals and it's available free of cost. Uh, the ones for businesses works in a slightly similar way, but it's way more complicated in terms of having about 300 odd products on it and having a lot more measures. The one for individuals is quite simple. It's pretty much a survey. It takes about three to four minutes to fill up if you really think about what you're using. And what it then sends you is one in terms of an absolute kilo of plastic that you're using. So for example, as per our survey, an average urban Indian is using around 24 kilos of plastic per year. And then it tells you how you can reduce um, the plastic that you're using and tells you only five actions based on your top five products. Usually what we've seen is that the top five contribute anywhere between 40 to 65% of a person's consumption. So imagine out of the 24 kilos, 12 kilos is easily handleable with just five products. Crazy. And Mm. we give people recommendations on things that they can do. So it's not based on, hey, wait for the law to change or wait for the government to change or wait for the industry to change. It's simple things that you and I can do starting today. 
So that's the idea that uh, the change begins with us and it sends you those five things that you can start with today to start reducing your plastic consumption. That's beautiful. And I'm curious, you know, as, as you've been trekking along with the Happy Turtle, how has the response been for, um, you know, when they, when they actually receive kind of this analysis and what they can do in their daily life to move forward and help reduce plastic? Because, you know, as people who are part of the industry, you know, we see, you know, these, these very simple solutions all the time and we're easily implementing them and we're looking to go above and beyond. But of course, there's still a huge lack of education um, in regards to, you know, how to kind of make that first step. Uh, so I'm curious to what the feedback has been like from both a business, a business level as well as the individual level in, in regards to, you know, they get these solutions and then do they feel empowered to move forward and implement them? Do they feel like they're challenging? Um, maybe you could even provide an, like an example of, of, of someone who's, who's gone through the process with you on an individual level so we can understand what that kind of looks like and the impact. Yeah, for sure. So um, I'll talk about the individuals first. Uh, in terms of individuals, I quote my friend here, who called the plastic footprint calculator a guilt slap because oh. uh, <laughs> <laughs> this thing that everybody knows, you know, plastic is bad and everybody knows that they're using it, but people don't really know slash want to know how much exactly they're using because then that kind of puts the responsibility and the onus on them. Of course. <laughs> so she calls it the guilt slap, but uh, in terms of uh, normal like, responses and even the feedback comments that we get for the plastic footprint calculator, people are actually surprised that they're getting actionable items because usually when you take a survey, you expect to get, yeah, all right, this is your rating, da, 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 da. But here they're getting a way to start. Because you're absolutely right. The information asymmetry on plastic is so vast that right now the biggest challenge we face is people don't even know where all they're using plastic products. I've had, I've had discussions with people who will be drinking out of paper cup and thinking it's paper. So they don't even realize that it's actually lined with plastic and it's not recyclable and stuff. So the idea of the calculator right. is to get people to realize that there's plastic all around you and a lot of it is avoidable. And a lot of it is simple, easy solutions that, you know, like a zero waster would take for granted. But a normal person who's busy with their lives and, you know, busy earning the bread, busy working uh, from meeting to meeting, they don't, th don't really think about it. So the idea is to get them to think about it and then just do a little bit, maybe one step at a time sort of a thing. We've had people, I'll take the example of this one girl who took this plastic footprint calculator in Jan. And her plastic footprint at that time was 36 kilos. And then she started working on the five recommendations that we sent her. And she contacted us for more ideas. And she's like, oh, hey, I'm using this. Can I do something else? Can I do something else? And we usually respond in terms of, all right, you tell us a product and we'll tell you a solution based on your lifestyle, which doesn't, you know, like take like I want to tell somebody who's working a corporate job to start making their own soap, for example. Right? Because I know they don't have the time. Yes. So, <laughs> so uh, based on our recommendations, within six months, she reduced her plastic footprint to five kilos. Wow. Incredible. So, yeah. So that, it was like an insane. And we have a blog about, uh, we've asked her to write it out and we've put up a blog on our website as well, just to inspire people. This is a girl with a corporate job. This is a girl working Monday to Friday, 9 a.m. to probably 8 or 9 p.m. And she has two cats in her house. And she has a husband who's not as ecologically conscious as her. <laughs> so it, it took a while. It took six mm. months for her to reduce it. But it's a journey. And that's the important part to understand that it's always a journey. It's not going to be zero. Even my plastic footprint is 3.5 kilos. It's not zero. 
Yeah, and it's so it's so beautiful to be transparent about that as well. So thank you for saying that because you know people. It, people see, you know, going zero waste or minimizing their wastes, this like huge barrier and it seems so impossible. But when you break it down like that and you start kind of showcasing, you know, here's how, here's all these simple ways you can do this. And then seeing someone go from like 35 to five in like no time is, is incredible. And for you to be transparent about like your, uh, your like plastic consumption is 3.5 kgs like that's like we i love hearing that because it's like listen like it's challenging it's not an easy yeah. thing to do and uh you brought up a really good point about the fact that you know there's a lot of people who are you know they're aware they want to minimize their plastic consumption but they also you know for example have animals which is a little bit more tricky when it comes to like purchasing animal products or yeah. uh their their pet food and then when you have a partner who is not as aware or, you know, usually they're supportive, but not as, you know, involved in the process, um, that can also be a huge challenge. And I'm curious to, if you've provided any kind of individual consulting or, uh, you know, education for people whose partners are not necessarily as involved in uh, this, minimal, this minimalist lifestyle, um, since that seems to be a huge hurdle for, for people who want to turn their households into zero waste spaces. So in terms of counseling, directly, not really, but <laughs> <laughs> because I would kind of be probably crossing certain lines. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. I get it. <laughs> so what we do is we actually encourage the person because, uh, you know, like if it's, if it's your spouse, you know your spouse best and you know the ways to get to your spouse best. Uh, uh, so it's more of a setting example. It's kind of like a ripple effect is what I would like to call it. Because if you start doing things a little bit differently, they'll take a little bit longer. Maybe for the same girl, her husband might take a year and a half and not six months. But he'll eventually get there because that's the environment that he is living in now. So it, it's very, it, that's where the whole business uh, consulting part for us also comes in. Because it is so much to do with the environment that we're living in, that we're working in, that our house is in, that, uh, you know, like even places that you go out to eat. For example, take, take the example of bamboo straws in India, right? Till about a year ago, people didn't even know that there's something called bamboo straws. I would talk to people, a normal corporate employee sort of a person, and they're like, oh, really? There's something called bamboo straws? Oh, wow, that's interesting. And today, you walk into you know, a whole different set of restaurants, walk into any restaurant in Bombay or Bangalore, and you would very easily find reusable straws, bamboo, steel, mm -hmm. copper, any of them. So it's, it's, and suddenly then even the people who are not very conscious about plastic see this new product, right? And then that subconscious example of, hey, a lot of people actually connected with that video of the straw and the turtle's nose, sadly. But that, that's something that gets uh, registered in your mind that, oh, all right, so at least this will not go and, you know, maybe hurt turtle tomorrow or this will not go and harm the environment tomorrow. And maybe they will take that back with them. Maybe the next time they use a straw, they'll remember the bamboo straw and probably maybe they'll remember to say no thank you to a plastic straw. Right. So it's got so much to do with the environment that you're in that it's kind of like baby steps that will get you there. But it starts making you think around, oh, all right, you know, if this business can do it or if this of our office can do it, maybe I can do this at home. Right. So and what do you personally think uh, helps people, uh, you know, start making these more informed decisions? Like, you know, for example, these viral videos, um, you know, about, you know, I, I remember I, I, as soon as you said that, that video with, with the turtle, with the straw on his nose, I immediately thought of that image and was like, I remember how uh, impactful that was on me. And there's so many videos like that. 
But then there's also, you know, there's people who don't seem to be as affected by those videos, but there's other things that might, you know, inspire them to start their journey. Um, you know, what have you found to be the most powerful on an individual level? Um, and, you know, uh, what are some ways that you're kind of trying to integrate that or if you're continuing to innovate your process to kind of make sure that you are uh, targeting this wide range of of people who are looking maybe to get into this way of life like how do you kind of help them in that journey what by you know bringing them a, bringing them maybe resources without maybe shoving it down their throats because I, yeah. I think that's also the <laughs> other part of it yeah. so like how do you kind of like gently nurture them through that and do you find that you know some of these these bigger environmental like documentaries and videos and stuff are making an impact or do you think it's kind of just like it, it's just kind of preaching to the masses of of people who are already in the community um so that, that's a very good question so i'm the way i usually look at it is i segregate people into three buckets for the sake of simplicity the very first one is you know the zero wasters and eco-conscious people who i would call the woke consumers they're aware of the impact that the product they're purchasing will have throughout its product cycle. Um, that set of consumers, I don't really have to do much about, you know, driving awareness with them. They're already aware, they're already doing a lot. It's just a matter of providing, it, providing them more and more solutions and the right solutions. So that bucket I don't really focus much on because they're already there and they're help. It's kind of like preaching to the choir. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> the second bucket is the one which, which I call an eco-conscious consumer, but you know, it, they convince themselves with kind of like excuses or stories. We tell ourselves that, oh, I don't have the time or, oh, it's probably going to be expensive or it's probably going to take a lot of effort or it's not going to be convenient and stuff like that. Right. So these are well-intentioned consumers who would probably pay more for a product if it says it's eco-friendly. But that's about it, like because they don't they practically don't have the time. These set of consumers are the ones where I actually focus on um, getting the impact of plastic through in a way that's personal for them. Because frankly, I feel that the stories that they give us in terms of why they can't do it are also very personal, right? And it's, and it, from their standpoint, it's fair. They probably definitely don't have the time. But does, it, does that mean that they should do nothing about it? Absolutely not. So for these set of consumers, I actually focus on easy fixes first because it's, um, you know, it's quite addictive if you understand in terms of a zero waste journey, you do one thing and then you're like, oh wow, that felt good. And then you start doing the next thing and the next thing. So with the eco-conscious guys, I only focus on the big four of plastics. And I focus on, you know, like, can you keep a bag in your car or in your bag, backpack? Can you make sure you're not using, so I extend the bag one to a bin liner as well. Can you make sure you're not buying water bottles and maybe you're carrying your own bottle. So it's a simple big four fix for them. So bags, bottles, cups and cutlery slash straws. Um, and then eventually as they get used to it, they actually start exploring themselves. At least that's what I've seen till now. Mm. The third bucket is the one where most of my energies go, where, <laughs> where it's quite challenging, where I put it as the unaware lot who are buying products for the sake of convenience or for the sake of, you know, the product is there and they, there's a latent need in their mind for that product and they will go buy it. So imagine like, I would take my own example, like a few years ago, I used to buy three or four different types of lotions and skin creams and sunblocks and stuff for myself because I thought I needed it. Right. Um, but 
uh, if I take that sort of a consumer and if I suddenly tell them, hey, what you're doing is bad, they're more likely to get defensive, right? Because that's a need that they feel that they have. So for these set of consumers, what I've realized is starting with simpler things in terms of impact on their immediate health and impact on their family's health is where I begin. So I don't start with their personal consumption. I start with things like, you know, products in their kitchen, for example, and how putting food in plastic is harmful for health. And because I realized that a lot of these documentaries focus on the environment, but, you know, end of the day, we're talking to people who are busy leading their own lives and not out there thinking too much about the environment until they take a holiday and go to some natural place and maybe see plastic there. Right. So I, I honestly, as much as it hurts me to say this, I honestly don't know if the documentaries on nature are, are even reaching these guys. Mm. Right. They might see it, but they, it might not be top of mind recall. What would be top of mind recall, I feel, for these guys would be personal health because they're probably buying a whole ton of products for their own health. And getting them to switch, maybe starting with their kitchen, I feel is the best way because then they start thinking about, then, you know, that feeling of doing something good starts coming in. And then from a health standpoint is where I approach uh, most of these guys. How putting food in plastic and putting hot foods in plastic is impacting their health. And then bringing it about to how bottled water has up to 300 pieces of microplastics in it and how that can be bad for your health. And then, you know, bringing it slowly about in those terms. Yeah, I have to agree with you 100% on that. I think that's probably the best way to approach it because, you know, especially when people are living a life of convenience and that's really where plastic has come into our lives. It's to make things more convenient and we've taken total advantage of it. And, you know, to, to actually look within and realize the impact that it has on you individually, I think is absolutely how people can actually become more eco-conscious. I've always said that, you know, sustainability starts at home. Like you need to understand how it's impacting you and your family before you can start thinking about how it's impacting, uh, you know, people, your communities, uh, animals, the planet. Like it has to really start from within, especially yeah. because we kind of live in a selfish world right now. And I hate to say that, but it's just because we've... we've yeah, we've built these lives based on convenience, so it, it totally makes sense. And and I think this is a really good uh, a really good time to kind of bring in this idea of you know the you know uh, brands using marketing to kind of you know start to edge into this into this market of people who are becoming more conscious and you know don't really have these you know don't have really have the educational resources available to understand you know the the why the what and the how of these products and and we're seeing this massive thing called greenwashing happening and you know I, i'm curious to you know how you're how you're able to address that um both on an individual side and the business side because it's something that people don't even realize um like and i think one of the craziest examples of this as well is like not even just like eco-friendly products like even products that claim to be like Ayurvedic and they're not, you know what yeah. I mean? Like <laughs> yeah. there's just so much lying happening in marketing and you know, how are you helping people approach that topic and kind of understand that they need to be more informed about their buying decisions? Yeah. So, um, there's a couple of approaches that we take for that. Uh, you're absolutely right. Greenwashing is becoming a growing challenge for us as well, because a lot of times we have people asking us for bioplastics and, as a company, as an individual, I vehemently oppose bioplastics as a technology. You would have seen a lot of articles on how they're not really, you know, as easily compostable as they claim, how there's very minimal studies on the amount of microplastics that they release, how they're, how they're actually not 
in a practical world, uh, never going to reach an industrial composting facility. So um, in terms of businesses, it's, I would say it's easier for us because we're talking to a business representative there and it's a one-on-one -on -one discussion. So it's easier for me to explain the impact of those choices. Um, it's easier for me to impact how that product will, event, will have its life cycle. And in that life cycle, how it's more likely to land up in a landfill or ruin or recycling, plastic recycling batch because it will get segregated with PET and the entire batch gets rejected. But uh, in terms of individuals, that's where a bigger challenge lies because you're absolutely right. They don't have the access to that much information. And even though you know we all say information is at our fingertips, that's not really what they're searching for. They see a green colored bag that says, I am not plastic or a green colored bag that says biodegradable and compostable. And they believe the claim because we believe that, you know, there's a whole government agency, there's a licensing system that <laughs> will not let somebody put a claim on the package if it's not true. But sadly, um, uh, yeah. <laughs> the standards are very, very subjective. Like even if, even if you do look at the standards and here, in fact, it's one place where I would actually applaud the Indian government because uh, CPCB has banned a lot of companies who've been trying to peddle all these products into the market. And they've actually even held uh, retailers responsible for buying the wrong product. And they've told them, hey, you should have asked. Because if you're buying something in bulk, you have the time to ask. Um, so that, that way they're at least trying. The issue is India's a very, very big democracy and as varied and vast as it is, it, the product still seeps into the market. Uh, what I do tell individuals is if it looks like plastic, if it feels like plastic, it probably is plastic. It's as simple as that. <laughs> because <laughs> by definition, plastic is a polymer and it will require certain stages of polymerization, synthetics, and you know, uh, a lot of chemical add-ons where even if you say it's plant-based, right? Uh, the plant-based starch and the product has been through so many cycles that it's no longer natural. And then when people buy it thinking, oh yeah, I'm okay paying two and a half times the price for a bin liner mm. because I think it's going to go away naturally and it doesn't, it's kind, of, it's kind of a little bit disappointing for them to hear because they feel cheated initially. 100%. But, uh, but then the good part is that it helps them not make the wrong choice in the future. It helps them be more conscious about what they're picking up um, in terms of our workshops, actually, we do recommend a burn test. It sounds very violent, I think, but it's not <laughs> as violent as that. Um, what I do tell people is try and burn a small piece of an eco-friendly product that you buy, especially if it's, you know, like a bag or a, uh, or a disposable sort of a single use product. If you burn it and if it, you know, curls up into a tiny bead, it's, it's, it's plastic because that's how plastic burns. Right right? Because it's a longer polymer. If it burns like paper and it's an ash that you can just rub out and there's nothing left, then that's probably biodegradable. And that's probably natural because it's not been processed too much. But just, yeah, those two tests, definitely, if it looks like plastic, feels like plastic, it probably is. And the burn test, those two are the ones that I would recommend the most. Yeah, those are great. I feel like those are, those are great takeaways actually for this podcast. Everyone's going to go home and like burn all of their things. <laughs> To say, hey, is this plastic or is this biodegradable? Yeah, we should um, put a disclaimer. We're not responsible. 
Everything's on fire. <laughs> no, that's a good way to look at it. And and then it's but it's it's interesting because you're you're like what I'm hearing here is also that like people are trusting way too much in you know these organizations to tell them the truth about their products when it, you know, it should be the responsibility of the consumer to also make sure that they're looking in, um, you know, looking in or basically just diving into the, the background of these companies that they're buying from to understand, you know, what their why is. Like if they're obviously not really doing anything behind the scenes to kind of help bring more awareness to, you know, plastic consumption and, and trying to bring new products to the market, it's it's probably pretty obvious that they're, they're not, offering you something that's truly authentic. Yeah. And I'm curious, like after, uh, especially, so I'm so curious about the individual level because that's something that I really focus on um, with Hada House. And I'm just curious, like, you know, once people, once you kind of set people up and they're on their journey and they're on their way, do you find that they're taking the time to put in more of the research? Like, do you find that their habits are, are truly changing before they're actually making purchases? Um, so we do get more and more questions from some people. So in those cases, I do know that habits are changing because they start questioning everything that they see. And, uh, you know, like sometimes people don't even realize that cartons and Tetra packs are not eco-friendly. And they would probably be like, okay, yeah, so maybe instead of a packet, if I buy a Tetra pack, that's better. But then they ask, and that's when you tell them how multi-layered packaging is really, really bad. And it's not even recyclable. So then they're like, oh, all right, let me take a step back. Uh, the good part is that there's definite behavioral change in terms of seeing plastic around them. And, you know, because avoiding it becomes the second step. But you have to first recognize that, okay, these and these and these products, which probably doesn't even look like plastic any longer, is still plastic. And that's where I, I do feel a lot of people have changed. Like, we do get a lot of... Um, so in terms of, uh, not in terms of social media, I would say, but in terms of uh, direct interactions and stuff, we do get a lot of questions from people saying, hey, but this is what I tried to do. And this is where I've, this is what I've reached till. Um, but uh, like, for, like, for example, if somebody's changed from using bin liners, they've started segregating their waste and they're not using any liner for dry waste, but for their wet waste, they're using a newspaper. But then the garbage collecting guy just mixes everything up and takes it. So then they get frustrated. Mm. So then that's when their habit change doesn't really settle in a lot of times. But then what we tell them is to keep at it because at least they're avoiding the bin liner. Even if the wet waste is currently not getting managed properly or even if they're facing that challenge, that's the next hurdle to cross. That should not be taken as, oh, I should not do my bit. Which I feel is a very, like it's a, it's a difficult uh, habit to break. Because if you don't see, uh, you know, a recognition for your actions, you're very likely to leave those actions. Yeah. So course. that's one of the big things uh, that I've noticed, at least here in India, that people um, start giving up on the good habit that they pick up just because they don't see it transitively carrying on. And that's very, very important that, you know, we stick to it. So keep asking for a reusable coffee mug if you're having a coffee in the cafe keep forcing somebody not to give you a straw, keep forcing your family to not use plastic bags, keep forcing yourself to not use that bin liner because it's going to take time. And that patience is something that's super important, but um, the habit change is directly in correlation to the amount of patience somebody has on this. And that's where I feel there's a very big challenge. Do you think the word force is the right word to use though? Because I think that's where people feel like, you know, 
that's where people start to feel like they're, they don't really know how to move forward because they're like, I know I'm supposed to make this choice, but I don't know how to get started. So what, what advice would you give to people to kind of, you know, start those conversations with family members and people in their community to help them, you know, take that first step forward? See, honestly, with family, I would use the word force because sometimes <laughs> and that's the only, you know, that's a circle of control where you can, actually circle of influence, I would say where you can inspire them to not use it. And where you can exert some force because you can't really exert so much force outside, right? But within your family, it's easier for you to force them to change because it's good for them. You know, it's kind of like how uh, parents tell their kids that, hey, you have to eat your greens and you have to eat your vegetables because it's good for you, right? So you're essentially forcing your kid to eat something they don't want to eat. But it's exactly the same. It's something that's good for their family. So they should be able to inspire, um, convince, cajole, at the end of it, force them <laughs> segregate their ways, force them to carry, not get a plastic bag and stuff. But when it comes to, uh, you know, the general public, it, it definitely helps. Like, for example, um, you know, it, nowadays, thankfully, we're changing in terms of a general people habit is changing. That if somebody litters on the road, e- even before I could stop the person, somebody else pointed out that, hey, can you pick that up and throw it in the dustbin? And I was super surprised by that. Because I, I don't expect it, right. right? Like, I don't expect a random stranger telling another random stranger that, hey, you littered. Can you pick it up and throw it in the bin? So it's, it's yeah. <laughs> it was quite rare. And I was, it made me super happy. But it showed me that, you know, people are changing. And the other person, instead of getting defensive, actually just picked it up and threw it in the bin. And they were like, yeah, okay, I'm sorry. Because versus you know, an earlier claim, at least that I used to hear a lot in Delhi, oh, by littering, I'm creating a job for a sweeper. Oh, yes. (laughs) (laughs) I now at least hear somebody saying, all right, sorry, I won't litter. No, that's beautiful. And, and I think that's, and I I think that's also the young, you know, demographic, us millennials and, um, you know, 20 somethings are finally, you know, trying to lead the change because we understand that like this is our future and it's also our children's future. And, you know, it's affecting us more than ever. So it's kind of like we need to be the leaders of this change. And, and I'm curious if you're doing any kind of like advocacy for like policy making or, you know, a proper waste management, especially in Delhi, because, you know, I'm always shocked by the uh, the systems in place in terms of waste collection and management. <laughs> and, you know, I've always thought that like, you know, right now there's a huge missing link between what's happening on a government level and then what's happening from like a grassroots and individual like startup level, because, you know, the startups and the little guys are all about, you know, this bottom up approach and the government and, you know, all the entities up there are um, at this, you know, top down approach. And there's a, there's this huge missing link in regards to actually making a system that works and, coming together to collaborate because, you know, for example, uh, the fact that like all our waste could be picked up, but it's not being segregated properly. Or the fact that like, there's very evident, you know, um, information out there that apparently like if everyone just started to segregate their organics, India would able to, would India would be able to reduce its landfill size by like 40% or something crazy like that. I'll share the article with you too. It's 60%. crazy. The wet waste generation per household in India is close to 60%. What do we do? <laughs> so, so you're absolutely right in terms of startups having a bottom up and the government having a top down approach. But the one thing where I would um, 
probably have a different point of view. So we don't advocate and stuff. We're a for-profit uh, bootstrap startup. But what we do is ensure the information asymmetry gets addressed. Because um, the government has done a lot in terms of ensuring proper waste management rules and proper waste management laws. And now those laws are being enforced. So now, for example, if you live in an apartment housing and you have more than a, like a set number of apartments and families living in that apartment housing, decentralized waste management for your wet waste is mandatory. So you have to segregate your household waste. The wet waste has to be collected at the apartment itself. And it has to be managed at the apartment. So com composting setups and everything are becoming a rule. And there are startups and companies which are coming up, which do help set up community composting. Uh, we do tie up with a few businesses in order to uh, ensure that, you know, uh, wherever we're talking to businesses, wherever we're talking, wherever we're conducting workshops, that we recommend that, that hey, you know, you guys should get in touch with XYZ companies for ensuring that your wet waste gets managed at your apartment itself. It shouldn't leave the gates of the apartment. But for me, I think a very, very big responsibility lies with the individual again, because if the person is not segregating, right, the rest of the chain will remain broken. I'll take our own example. In our house, we've been segregating waste ever since I've come back to India. So since the end of 2017, so almost two years now. And it's only last month that the garbage collecting guy has started bringing two bins. So <laughs> Wow. Okay, well, at least it's happening. I guess yeah, that's a good thing. Now, right? But it takes time. Uh, but the problem, the thing is that even he tells us that most of the houses are still not segregating. Right? So if the household will not segregate, the problem remains because if it's, you know, even if it's one household that doesn't segregate, it becomes an added issue because that wet waste will contaminate the related plastic waste. It will contaminate the related paper waste. And then the contaminated plastic waste also cannot be recycled. So it's not just a matter of that 60%. It's a matter of how that 60% of your wet waste impacts the rest of the 40%. And it's quite like in India, thankfully, we have a very good habit of keeping our newspapers and all the glass bottles in one corner of the house and selling them monthly to the local kabariwala which I think is a very good habit. But you know, that can also be extended to the metal that you have in the house. It can also be extended right. to the plastic waste you have in the house. So we're already doing that sort of segregation. Subconsciously, we've all grown up segregating. You know, there's a separate newspaper pile in everybody's house. The newspaper never goes into the dustbin. Yeah. Because, it's a separate <laughs> because at the end of the month, it's going to be given to the kapariwala. But the same habit, you just have to put two bins next to each other. And if it's kitchen waste, you just have to put it in one bin. And if it's something else, you just put it in the other bin. Uh, that that I, that challenge for me becomes very very like questionable because I don't think it's a challenge. I think it's a habit. It's a simple habit change of just one or two days, and that's all that it takes. Yeah. That's why I feel like it's not it's not so much the government, right? If the government has given the rules, the government has given the laws, the government is working with the MCD. The MCD is working with their waste collector to, to tag him on how much wet waste he's depositing and how much uh, dry waste he's depositing. But if you are not segregating, the rest of the chain is irrelevant. That being said, though, not every society or not every community is actually, actually has uh, pickup available. So it, it's also a question of making sure like, yes, there's a lot of responsibility on both sides, but if not every region has a pickup service for, uh, for trash, you know, yeah. what is, 
you know, what is the, the, the solution for, for that community or that household? Um, because at the end of the day, like, if, if there's no collection service, yeah. there's no, like, that trash is not going to be put in the, the correct place regardless, because what is that individual family supposed to do? You know, and, and I mean, I, I hope there's families out there that are driving their waste to where it needs to go or finding other solutions. But, you know, again, it's, it's a huge question of convenience. So, I mean, what are your thoughts on, you know, what happens for those, for, for people who don't have those services available? And then, and then we're also the fact that we see a lot of these marginalized communities, they are segregating their waste because they're able to actually make an income off of, you know, collecting, um, you know, wet waste or plastics, et cetera. And, but then there's also this huge thing of like, they need to actually make sure it gets to the right place as well. So, you know, yeah. how do we tie all this together and make it so that it's convenient for everybody and that everyone kind of feels the, the weight of the responsibility on them and the ownership for what they need to do to contribute to, you know, the environmental future of, you know, especially a city like Delhi. Yeah. So in terms of um, so in terms of cities, I think the waste collection um, efforts are still underway uh, to cover 100% of the city in terms of waste collection. But having said that, most of the city does get ma collected on certain days. The waste from most of the places does get collected on certain days. When you talk about marginalized um, living conditions and marginalized families and stuff, yes, for them it's a bigger challenge. I feel because they don't know what to do, for example, with their wet waste. And, you know, it's not like they have a composting setup at home or it's not like a composting setup is close by. Um, for them, it's definitely a very, very big challenge where I do feel that the government needs to map these areas and that activity of ensuring that there's 100% coverage of the waste, you know, the, the vans that collect the wet waste and the dry waste needs to be done. But at that level, I think right now, the first step that the government needs to do is actually have vans which have those two separate sections. Because right now, if you look at the garbage collection vans in Delhi, most of them don't have those two sections. So even if everybody is segregating, even if everybody is doing their best, it's reaching a garbage dump or a bigger garbage um, receptacle where it just gets emptied into one container. And that's definitely where the government needs to step up its act because that's something that's directly in their control. Maybe getting into your household and making you throw your waste in the right bin is not in their control. And that's something we need to ensure that we're doing ourselves. But yeah, that the rest of the system, which was broken, I feel with the new NGT um, judgment, that which was given Delhi government one year <laughs> to get its act together, <laughs> I think that should um, give us some good solutions. But uh, I would look at cities like Indore, for example. Right. Uh, it, it basically took one IS officer. That's it. That, that's all that it took for Indore to become the cleanest city in India. And if you look at Leh, for example, as far away from everywhere as Leh is, they have fantastic waste management because people pay for it. In, in, in Delhi, people are not even willing to pay for their garbage to get collected. People expect money. In our workshops, we get questions. Hey, but I get money to sell my newspaper. Will you give me money to sell my plastic? I'm like, okay, do you get money to throw it in the dustbin? No, you don't. But suddenly, because you're expected to give it to somebody, you want money for it, which is a very unfair expectation if you look mm. at it from that standpoint. Of course. Everywhere in the world, people pay for garbage collection. Everywhere except for India. Businesses here pay for garbage collection. Individuals don't. Households don't. Right? Um, a lot of these households where you don't have waste management facilities and stuff, maybe it can be done. It can be done if they were willing to pay 50 bucks or 100 bucks a month just to get their waste collected and sorted. Um, 
and we just assume that because it's waste we don't want to pay for it but mm-hmm. it's that waste itself that's sitting in a landfill that's growing taller than the taj mahal and it's probably delhi's bane of delhi's existence the gazipur landfill but when people see it they don't even realize that they're trash and that they have a stake in it so i think it's a very it's a complex problem to solve but you're right everybody needs to do their bit so while the government cleans up their act of have segregated waste collection trained mcd employees to pick up the waste it's also on us that we might have to bear a financial burden and we should be okay with it 100% yeah thank you for saying that it's 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 like we need to just be okay with it and uh, especially because like at the end of the day what we put into our environment all of everything that we consume that we put back into our environment directly comes back and impacts us and people need to start seeing that cycle and and realizing how much of an impact that has on their health their family's health and the people that they love and i i think that brings it like that's a great way to kind of bring it back to what you were saying before about how you know um sh- focusing more on a household and the family health it seems like the best way to move forward with that um so thank you for what you're doing it's beautiful <laughs> we really appreciate it <laughs> um before we before we kind of close off i just wanted to dive a little bit more into you know uh what other services that you are offering for businesses for for any any startups organizations that are listening and and want to see you know how they can kind of move forward with you know trying to reduce their plastic consumption within their office spaces and minimize their ecological footprint you know how can they kind of get started with you and and what could that 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 journey look like for them um so the first step the very first step would be for them to know their plastic footprint so to know the challenge that they're facing basically uh we do give plastic footprint certifications for a fraction of the cost of the consulting project so it's not something expensive the plastic footprint certification is about 10000 to 20000 rupees that's it and uh we assess your entire premises we tell you how much plastic you're using what you're using what's recyclable what's not that can be the very easy first step for a business to start uh post that it's up to them if they want us to help them out throughout the entire consulting project uh post that it's up to them if they want us to conduct workshops for their employees and you know sensitize their employees in terms of uh alternatives sensitize their employees in terms of changes that might happen in the office um and of course the way, the quickest way is uh, sustainable gifting so if they start mm-hmm. gifting their employees on diwali or on any other occasion if they start gifting them sustainable products it starts bringing a little bit of that mindset change that hey all right okay i'm going to go eco friendly this diwali or i'm going to go eco friendly this new years so those are the three main things that i would say um very easy for any business to reach out to us you can drop us an, an email you can reach out to us on any of our social media handles we're the happy turtle india on facebook and instagram and we're happy turtle_ind on twitter Again, thank you so so much for joining me today. Um was there anything else that you wanted to add to make sure your audience hears anything that's up and coming in the next couple months that you want to share? Um so yeah, so I'm looking forward to what change Modi brings in on October 2nd <laughs> after his Independence Day speech. But meanwhile, I would actually encourage people to start looking at the plastic products around them and start taking the responsibility that it's all of us put together. Who, who can make the difference it's not the governments it's not the rules and everything there has to be you know our own responsibility and we need to think about it about time we start thinking about it 100% powerful words thank you dija so much i really really appreciate it um and uh yeah i appreciate your time and looking forward to seeing what else the happy turtle brings to uh businesses and individuals in reducing their plastic consumption thank you for what you do 
Thank you so much, Jasmine. Thank you for the opportunity. Feeling inspired? See what other impact stories we have to share over on causeartist.com. Be sure to subscribe for weekly updates from Grant and I about content, giveaways, and new episodes from Disruptors for Good and Impact India. Looking to learn more about social impact and conscious living in India? Hit me up on Instagram at Jasmine Rain. Cheers, friends!